Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear old friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. You didn't have to mention old. There's nothing <laughs> nothing to be said there. Before we get into our episode for the day, Melissa would like to tell you about something that we are going to be participating in in the month of October, and I will let her tell you all about it. Okay, guys, we are going to be um, a part of the Two Pause a Day campaign. Um, and it's actually, it aims to introduce podcast listeners to two independent podcasts every day for the month of October. And by joining this, we're hoping to bring visibility to some of the great indie podcasts that you probably haven't heard of. Two Pods a Day encourages you to listen more and to listen indie and find more shows like ours by following the hashtag Two Pods a Day on both Twitter and Facebook. So we're super excited we get to be a part of that this month. Um, and you'll see several names, you know, and a few you don't. Um, and then also we wanted to go over a couple quick things. We have the winner of our sticker review <laughs> extraordinaire is our friend Twyla, who is on various social media. And we love Twyla, us. and we're so happy that Twyla gets Yay! to have our lovely stickers. <laughs> we will not shut up about these stickers. <laughs> we so, will eventually, <laughs> when something better comes along. <laughs> for now, it's the stickers. So thanks for everyone who um, submitted their reviews and who has been reviewing, and we really appreciate you guys um, doing that for us. Um, also wanted to remind you about our Patreon account, patreon.com slash Podcast. We have a new episode that we're recording on Saturday to be released on Saturday for our Patreon um, exclusive episode, so we're excited about that. Um, also, Facebook group, Mums the Word, come join us there. We have over 100 people in there now, and we have been trying to give everyone a very special GIF, GIF? I think it's GIF. GIF, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure how much longer that will last because my fingers are going to break, um, but uh, get in while we're still GIFing, that's what I would say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So we are going to jump right into this week's episode. Mandy. All righty. So for episode 12, we are going to be talking about the Clear Lake murders. Um, this is a very disturbing quadruple murder involving four young adults that took place in Clear Lake, Texas on July 18th, 2003. It was around 3.30 in the afternoon on that Friday when Tiffany Rowell, who is 18 years old, was hosting her friend, 
Rachel Colarudis, also 18, her boyfriend, Marcus Priscilla, 19, and Marcus's cousin, Adelbert Sanchez, who was 21, and they were all just kind of hanging out at Tiffany's house. Also, give it up to Mandy. She managed to pronounce all of those names correctly. <laughs> I really made sure this time to um, <laughs> listen closely on documentaries to what um, the others were, were, how they were pronouncing them, so I would be able to get them right this time. Kudos. So, yes. Um, thank you for pointing that out for everyone <laughs> and making me feel real good. Good. <laughs> um, so as I said, the four were having pizza and watching television, just sort of hanging out, when two individuals entered the home and fired several shots straight all four of these young people before leaving. Rachel, having survived several of the shots, attempted to dial 911 after the attack, but the assailant returned to the home and used the butt of the gun to viciously beat her over the head until she was dead. So these homicides became known as the Clear Lake murders. Yeah. Four, I think we're going to have to do like a little buffer case next because this one was really hard to hear about it's a lot to unload on you guys so hopefully you are in the mood to listen to um, (laughs) a little bit heavier of a case this week this may actually turn out a little bit longer of an episode because there's a lot here so um we won't waste any more time and i will just go right into probably waste more time yeah (laughs) i know that's like big promises that i can't keep (laughs) um, so i will go right into the early investigation of this and um we'll see where the conversation leads us um So a friend of Tiffany's, who I said um, was actually the, she wasn't the owner of the home. Her father owned the home, but she lived there alone, um, even though she was only 18. So I'm sure she was really happy to live on her own. Oh my gosh. At 18. I lived on my own at 18, well, with my now husband, but um, it actually wasn't that fun. It seems a lot more fun than it probably um, is. But anyway, a friend of Tiffany's had called her cell phone earlier in the day around about three o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, she was actually in the bathroom. So her boyfriend, Marcus, answered the phone and said that she was in the bathroom. And the friend on the other lo- on the other end of the line, who is only going by a pseudonym, which is Brittany for now, said that she would just call back. So about 30 minutes later, she did call back, but this time nobody answered the phone. And since she was in the area, she decided that she was just going to swing by Tiffany's house and take care of whatever business it was that she was calling about in the first place. Um, She was with her boyfriend, her cousin, uh, or sorry, his cousin, and her nephew, and they stopped at McDonald's for some food before going over to Tiffany's house. As one does. As one does, yes. <laughs> McDonald's seems to be a recurring theme. <laughs> in our lives and on this show. Yes. Uh, shortly after 6 p.m. is when they pulled into Tiffany's driveway. And when they got there, they realized that Tiffany and Marcus's vehicles were both in the driveway. So, of course, they got even more confused wondering why nobody was answering the cell phones right. um, when clearly they were there at the house. So she got out of the car, went up to the door, rang the doorbell a few times, and it was just dead silence. There was nobody. Nobody answered the door. Yeah. She knocked a lot. Um, she tried to peek in a window and didn't see any movement inside the house or anything. So she went back to the front door, started knocking and banging. And eventually her persistent banging um, actually kind of knocked open the door that was unlocked. Yeah. And that's when she went inside and made the horrifying discovery that her friends um, had all been murdered. And she ran outside frantic and told her boyfriend that he needed to call the police right away. And she was still kind of processing what she had just seen, didn't really believe it, which I think is very understandable. I don't know. I think it would take quite some time to register with what you just saw if you walked into something like that. um, Also, I, based on all the true crime I listen to and watch and basically soak my brain in, I will not go, like if I saw somebody is not in, um, like they're not answering, but their car's there, I'm calling the police. I'm not opening a door. I'm not looking in a window. I'm going to just like rock myself just sitting there and just pretend that none of this is going on because it never ends up being good. Also, why I would never walk an animal. They always find dead bodies. Right. <laughs> Mandy, you can take your animals and walk them all you will. But I'll take all the animals. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Send but no, Mandy. actually, I do recommend um, if you ever find yourself in a situation like that and you're not sure, just call the police and get somebody else to check it out because, you know, who wants to go into something like that and have that 
yeah. etched in their memory forever. We are Not known me. for our PSAs on this right. show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you can just completely ignore us and do whatever you want. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's probably always a better idea. <laughs> right. Uh, so police responded to a very gruesome scene that was described by detectives as resembling a slaughterhouse. So that's a pretty graphic description to give a crime scene. Yeah. And it should tell you pretty much all you need to know about how... Right. We're not going into those details. Right. That's not really what our show is about. So if you want to get more details on that, you'll have to go look it up for yourself. <laughs> also, we don't recommend that. So. Yeah, yeah, we also don't recommend that. So... <laughs> Uh, inside the house were the four victims who had been dead for several hours at this point. There were bullet strikes all over the living room, blood on the walls. You can just imagine. Uh, the victims appeared to have been caught off guard by the assailant. Right. With Two of them were actually sitting on the couch with their feet propped up on like an ottoman or on a recliner type thing. And the detectives actually said that they appeared to have just been watching TV um, and didn't seem like they were alarmed at all. Yeah. By what was going on really didn't have a lot, you know, right. which in a way I think is kind of good because yeah. I would, you didn't you know, see it coming. I mean, I, I mean, it sounds terrible to say it's good, yeah. but I would rather, if I'm going to be murdered, I would rather it be <laughs> quick and not, I don't want to have to like no. be aware of what's mm -hmm. happening and like have to suffer through it and like, you mm -hmm. know, be conscious of what's going on because that would be horrifying. Again, kill me quickly. I, I'm good. Just, just take me out and let's be done with this. Right. <laughs> uh, so aside from the shell casings that were left on the scene, there really was not much evidence left, which, um, you know, I always feel like if I ever do something stupid, I'm going to be the one that leaves evidence all over the place. Like, yeah. how is it that these criminals can get away? Like, they commit this terrible, terrible crime and somehow manage to get away without leaving any DNA or anything. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, with all the CSI that I've ever watched, it's like <laughs> there's always something. Like, how is it possible that they find nothing, you know, to tie the murderers to the scene? But if all they're doing is walking in the door, shooting people and walking out, what really is there besides? I don't know. I'm thinking like a piece of like random hair that just falls off someone's head or yeah, something. You know, true. I know it's like finding a needle in a haystack, but I don't You'd know. You'd think something. Yeah, I agree you with you. You would think there would be some kind of something. Right. Um, so as I said, the detectives were puzzled and began to investigate based on the one possible fact that they knew, which was that the victims must have known the killer because yeah. that would be the only way that they would have been able to come in willingly and that these individuals would not have appeared to have yeah, tried to run away or exactly. done anything like that. So um, they they instantly knew that this must have been somebody that was connected to at least one of the people that was in the house at the time. And no signs of a breaking and entering. It was They were clearly just walking. Right. Let in somehow. So the question on the detectives' minds, of course, was, you know, what is the motive? And right. who would want all four of these people dead? Like, there's, it's just very odd, especially for a bunch of young people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they, there's no way they were ever involved in anything that would be so big of a deal that anyone would really want them killed. Um, well, they well could have been. <laughs> you're giving them too much credit, but no, these, yeah, no, I, I understand where you're going with that. Yeah, maybe I just don't say things the right way. <laughs> well, I don't want to look like I'm victim blaming, so no, no I don't no, think no, they no, were involved No, 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 absolutely not. No way. Um, so while processing the crime scene, it was determined that 21 total shots were fired inside the house and 17 of them hit the intended targets. Wow. So honestly, that's pretty good odds statistically. Oh, I guess it shows that they were definitely shooting at these people and, you know, they that's a lot of shots fired and then only a few misses. So yeah. The, well, that's one thing the detectives even said in the – I watched a forensic files on this, and that was one of the things that the detective said was that that's pretty um, remarkable that yeah. that many shots were fired and that um, nearly all of them actually hit. Yeah. Well, also, if they're sitting – if you're sitting on a couch with your legs up and somebody comes in and is shooting at you, there's not a lot of time for you to get up and room, move across the room, right? Right. I mean, but then, like, what is the deal with so many shots? Like, that's a lot of shots. 21 shots? Yeah, I mean that. It feels excessive. It does. Well, actually, we will talk about a little bit how um, it was kind of excessive. Yeah. Um, whenever we get further along here, continue. Yes. <laughs> so the shell casings that were found on the scene, they were actually two different kinds. There were two different sizes of right. bullet. So the detectives did not find any weapons left at the scene, but based on the shell casings that were left there, they knew that there was two different guns used. And then therefore they knew that they were actually going to be looking most likely for two people right. and not just one. So they 
started investigating. And of course, since they didn't have a lot to go on with the crime scene, they thought it would be a good place to start investigating the four victims and see if they could find out anything about them and that may give them some clues into why this happened to them. And they realized that the two male victims, which were uh, Marcus and Adelbert, they were the cousins, they were both involved in drugs. Right. Marcus was leading a lifestyle that included doing drugs and selling them. And he kind of brought his cousin Adelbert into this and along for the ride, which I, I kind of, um, I guess I was just surprised because Adelbert was the 21 year old and Marcus of course was 18. So yeah. I'm like, come on, man. Like, why were you getting involved speak in your own decisions? Yeah. You know, like be, you know, speak up. Don't. Be your own person. Yeah. You know, but they're also young. So that, yeah. And you know, and I know, and I always think, oh, 21, whatever, but no, 21 year olds are still young. Yeah. <laughs> I was still Especially making bad now. decisions yeah. at 21. I was making terrible decisions then. I get it. So, um, the two girls, Rachel and Tiffany, of course, were just unfortunate victims of kind of hanging out with the wrong crowd. You know, they were hanging out with these two guys, and that's just an unfortunate thing. Sometimes you're a victim of who you're hanging out with. exactly. And it's still sad, and, you know, but this is why us mothers are always (laughs) preaching that, (laughs) you know, make sure you choose your friends wisely and don't get yourself into any trouble because, unfortunately, trouble comes in big and small packages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mentioned that Tiffany lived home alone in the house, and the house was known as a party house. And this is where a lot of these young adults and teenagers would gather, and drugs and alcohol would just kind of be free-flowing. Right. And it sounds like a real fun place. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Not for a lame like me. So as detectives uh, started their search, they interviewed neighbors to confirm or to obtain information about the murder, and they didn't learn very much. Uh, Nobody had reported hearing any gunshots. Of which there were 21. Right. I don't understand that. I did hear in uh, the documentary that I watched that they said their excuse for that was that the windows were all shut and the air AC was running because it was, of course, in the middle of summer in Texas. Yeah. But um, I don't know about that. Although, like, I, it's possible maybe that neighbors were, like, at work or it was 3 in the afternoon on a Friday. So I don't know how they didn't maybe they any, were watching a forensics files and they maybe just had, thought it was part of their show <laughs> so um and then there was only one neighbor that was able to give a very loose description of two people who may have been involved may not have she saw them coming up the way so um the neighbor said she had seen a young male and a young female they were dressed in all black walking down the sidewalk that okay, day wait, i have to stop you here okay the all black thing okay thank you <laughs> Like, uh, hey, we're criminals. Right. Okay. So I know that's like the typical attire, right? So the all black ensemble is like what you wear when you're going to commit a crime. So, but you would think over time humans would, you know, adapt and be like, well, now everyone knows that all black means you're committing a crime. So maybe we should switch to a different color. It's more about not being seen and less about like your murder color. It's three in the afternoon. You're not blending in whether you're wearing black or not. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Very true. But yeah, like the whole black thing, that kind of made me think like, you basically just said, everyone look at me. It's the middle of summer and I'm <laughs> And I say black. that as I'm sitting here literally wearing yeah. all black right now. <laughs> I'm not convinced Mandy hasn't committed a crime on her way over, so. Well, maybe that's why I'm here. <laughs> oh, gosh. Help. Okay, so um, so the neighbor talks to a forensic sketch artist named Lois Gibson, who was so happy with her work in this case. I cannot... <laughs> even expressed the smugness she showed. Um, and she began working on a, um, creating a composite of these two individuals. She started asking basic questions, as they do, regarding the appearance of the people. She said they were white, they were young, and the female had large eyes. Do you ever think in these kind of things, <laughs> or like even on a milk carton, like how people would describe you? Don't do it. It will depress you so much. Uh, all I'm like, I just hope people will say first, like, she was tall before they get into any other specifics. That's exactly what they would say. <laughs> I'm not a monster. So um, anyway, so uh, young, white, and the female had large eyes. And the female was wearing a head covering of some kind, which is important, as you'll see later. Um, so Lois showed the photos to the neighbors of different types of facial features and asked them whether the two suspects, I'm sorry, whether the suspect's features looked similar to any of them. So like, was it a big nose or a small nose or a long nose or a witch nose. Right. Did it look like this or did it look like that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I straight up can tell you, I hope I never witness a crime because I will create things in my brain and never be able to help. Well, that's why sometimes I feel like, and that's a proven thing that if you, you know, if you witness something 
and that's why it's so important to get information immediately afterwards right. because the more time that goes by, the more your own brain kind of pieces it together and then you create something that maybe isn't exactly accurate. Right. So, um, yeah, but it just reminded me whenever she was talking about how she would show them different images and like, oh, does it look like this or this? Like it just reminded me of like an eye exam, like A or oh, B. Like every time. And you just keep going back and forth until like, you know, she gets – <laughs> whatever features she thinks. Did you ever is watch Arrested Development? I'm going into this. No, no you, you ask me all the time, and I need she to. Should. <laughs> so, but there's a scene on there with an eye exam. Whenever they're like, "Is it A or B?" and he's like, "B." Wait, could it have been A? Is B <laughs> is B too much of a change, or could it have been A? And that's how I feel. Like by the end, I'm like, they're gonna just tell me I'm blind because I don't know what's right or wrong. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So anyway, back to our girl Lois. Um, so she asked if the suspect's features look similar to any of these, and she was able to create a very basic sketch of the two possible suspects which this sketch when you get to the it wasn't people, really that basic they said it was basic yeah. but i was like well, that looks like two people I mean, <laughs> what were you expecting a blob like, i don't know you have nothing shadow? to go on i don't know i don't well, know how this works no okay. wonder lois was excited about her work she was thrilled guys um so the detectives took the two sketches to clear lake high school and that's the school that the victims had attended um to find out if any of the victims former classmates could identify the two potential suspects suspects um but that turned out to be a dead end of course it would yeah. never be that easy i know well, it should be i know um they began investigating the two male victims and uncovered the fact that adelbert sanchez had family member ties to the mexican mafia so scary yeah scary and that opens up a whole new world of possibilities of possibilities exactly um, and so they were unable to actually make any ties to the Mexican mafia. Um, but what police had done is they took the cell phones of the victims and they went back in their phones and all the calls they made the past 48 hours. They took those people that they had been in communication with, the victims had been in communication with, called all of them, interviewed them just in the span of the past 48 hours before they died. This also went nowhere. And so the trail went cold. This kind of thing, though, makes you really appreciate police work and detective work because right. can you imagine the investment in time that it would take to go through all of their phones and, like, contact everyone that they had contacted, like, over yeah. the last 48 hours? I mean, that would take some serious time and a lot of digging around to find, you know, and and, and locate these people to yeah. talk to them and everything. So, Not yeah. my phone. It would be, uh, we'll talk to Mandy and we'll talk to Melissa's husband. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There you go. One of those two did it. <laughs> Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. So three years passed before anything else happened in this case, 
And uh, the families of the victims, of course, continued to fight for justice for the loved ones that they lost. Uh, Rachel Colarudis's father decided to take matters into his own hands and helped raise a $100,000 reward for anyone who could give information that would lead to a conviction in this case. Oh, wow. He had the composite sketches that were done, of course, three years prior, placed on billboards that he paid to have put all over town. Lois loved that. That's right. (laughs) And the calls, of course, with the tips began rolling in again. But the most important phone call came from an anonymous source that was through the Crime Stoppers tip line. And the man on the other end claimed that he thought he knew who the female from the sketches was. And he stated that he had actually met her in drug rehab, where she had allegedly claimed to have taken part in a quadruple murder and explained in detail exactly how she had participated. Wow. One of the details that he shared was that one of the victims was killed while trying to dial 911, which was a fact in the case, of course, that only someone who was there would be able to know. Wasn't something released to the public. Exactly. So when detectives heard that information, of course, they, you know, their hearts were pounding and they knew that this was definitely probably someone they really needed to get in touch with and um, find out more information. Um, The caller identified the woman as the now 20-year-old Christine Paolilla, and police pulled up her driver's license photo and made a heart-stopping discovery, and it was that she looked almost identical to the composite sketch that was uh, drawn by Lois. So... I just think it's so crazy, honestly. Like, when you think about committing a crime, you just better be really careful because I just can't believe that they could really do that accurate of a sketch based on so little information. So, um, yeah, police, they know what they're doing, guys. I know. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to get you. Yeah, that's what I – I like to hear that. That's what I like to know. So – Um, Christine actually attended high school with three of the four victims, and police learned that she had lived what would – what we would consider a tough life from the time she was little, little. Really little. Yeah. And so that started with the loss of her father um, with an on the, I'm sorry, on the job accident. And if I remember correctly, something fell. Yes. He was in construction and um, like a stack of bricks fell on him and he was killed at work. A total freak accident. Yes. That you'd never. So this happened when Christine was only two years old. Yeah. And so following the death of her father, Christine's mother, Lori, um, who was a stay-at-home mom, she turned to drugs to cope, and eventually she lost custody of Christine and her brother. So that is a lot going on in a little person's life. Absolutely. And I did see that um, Christine and her brother went and lived with the grandparents for a while. So I'm glad at least that they had them. But of course, nothing compares to having your own mom and you know in your life and everything in an ideal so. world um and i heard one thing which was that christine would call her mom and say when can we come home i want to go back home you know it's just heartbreaking when, yeah just not fair for a little kid to have to think of those sorts of things and we have little kids so we, of course we just think of them and like you know just it's terrible yeah. they drive me up a flipping wall but i would never right. <laughs> i mean this situation is just so incredibly sad So a few years later, when Christine was in kindergarten, she was diagnosed with alopecia. So I'm sure plenty of you have probably heard of alopecia, but for those who don't know exactly what it is, it is an autoimmune disorder that causes your immune system to actually attack your hair follicles. And of course, that results in unpredictable hair loss, and they don't really know what causes um, the you know what causes your immune system to attack your hair follicles? So there's not really a cure for it right now. Yeah. Um, so Christine started losing her hair, her eyebrows, her eyelashes, and by the age of seven, she was bald. And this is just oh, so awful. I mean, this poor girl has been through enough already. Yeah. Um, but of course, the condition forced her to wear wigs and. She also had to put on, you know, as she got older, of course, not when she was seven, but when she got older and started getting more growing, you know, going through puberty and getting more into her, you know, becoming a a woman or a young woman, you know, she wanted to look like the other young women. So she would wear a lot of makeup and maybe didn't exactly know how to apply it very well. And she would kind of, you know, try to do her eye, you know, put on her eyebrows and um, so in addition to the alopecia, she also had really poor vision and had to wear like really, really thick glasses. And so all these things in combination, um, really caused like a lot of bullying in her life. And she was ridiculed by a lot of her classmates just for her appearance, which 
Oh, I just hate that so much. You know, it just really breaks my heart. Honestly, like you said, like you can't change your appearance. You can't, you know, nobody can change what they look like. Yeah. You're kind of stuck with it. Yeah. You know, you, I feel very stuck. <laughs> yes. You just have to accept who you are and, and what you look like. Um, so that was very sad. But um, Christine's mother was eventually able to overcome her drug addiction and she regained custody of her children, which is around the time when the family who had just reunited moved to Clear Lake, Texas, which is, by the way, a suburb of Houston. Yeah. So if you are familiar with that area, that's what we are talking about. And she actually remarried, right? And so they moved into actually like an affluent area and that was something. So her life changes again in some ways probably for the better, of course, being with her mom, but it's a new family. It's literally starting an entire new life different than what you And she hasn't been with her mom. You know, her mom hasn't been present in her life or anything. So, you know, yeah, it seems like a happy thing, a happy change, but um, it's for a teenage girl, it's still a change, you know, and it's still like a a different thing that's going to be now from what she had been doing. So I can, you Money know. doesn't buy happiness, so exactly. I hear. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I wouldn't know. I'm willing to try if anybody wants to send me some money. Same. <laughs> when Christine began attending Clear Lake High School, uh, Rachel Colarudis and Tiffany Rowell, Rowell, sorry, who were po- both very popular girls, they were um, very much opposite of what, I think Christine had been accustomed to. Yeah. Um, Well, they actually befriended her and helped her build her self-confidence by teaching her how to do her makeup, how to dress. You know, they showed her what kind of fashionable clothes to wear. Um, They helped her pick out a more flattering wig, probably one that looked a little more natural. I had read that um, in her early days of her um, alopecia, she would wear like – Almost like costumey kind of wigs, oh, and I know it's really just so sad. I know that sh- we're saying poor girl about seven year old Christine. By the way, yeah, <laughs> I want to be very clear on that. Yes, um, but it is sad though because then all of these things together can yeah end up contributing. It's contributing. a contributing factor. Yes. It's not the cause. Yes. Um, so Rachel and Tiffany were just generally helping her fit in, um, with the rest of her classmates. And in 2003, Christine was actually voted Miss Irresistible by the student body of the high school. So many thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy for her that she was able to like have a moment Um, of happiness and like be like the cool girl. But what is up with (laughs) the superlatives that involve like things like that? Miss Irresistible? What are you irresistible about, ma'am? What is the deal here? These are minors. I know. <laughs> there should be. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't get it. I, I Did you ever get a superlative in high school? I didn't. I was actually um, – I know you guys will be shocked to hear this, but I was not the nicest person in high school. I was kind of a mean yes. girl. <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, but no. really, I just wanted everyone to like leave me alone, you know? <laughs> You just hated people from a very young age. I did. I was not, I did not get a superlative, but I will straight up tell you that I must have had a weird, I had zero confidence, but maybe just a smidge because whenever you would see like the superlative votes and stuff, like something in my brain made me think like somebody's (laughs) going to vote for you. And so uh, never, never got anything. (laughs) Not shocked at all. I played volleyball in high school, tried to play basketball one year, literally was this I just love this story because it's so sad. They put me out on the court because I'm six foot tall. So they thought, hey, you know, maybe you can do You'll this. You'll be a natural. Terrible. <laughs> but when we would go to away games, they would put me on the court and other teams would be intimidated and they put their best player on me. So meanwhile, our best player had somebody else on them and was able to score. So. <laughs> they used you to fake so out I the other teams. I showed them. <laughs> so superlatives are weird, guys. They're super weird, but good for her in this one moment. So that same year, still 2003, Christine met bad boy Christopher Lee Snyder. He was 21 and already had an extensive criminal record and history of drug use. The two of them began a relationship to the dismay of Christine's mother and stepfather, as well as her best friends, Rachel and Tiffany, which, of course, we can all see why a 17-year-old girl dating a 21-year-old man would not please the family. No. (laughs) And, uh, you know, if you've heard our other episodes, and we've actually talked about that before, but moms, <laughs> yes, what we do. So good old Chris got Christine involved in 
his lifestyle and she of course started using drugs and um over the year that they dated her drug use became increasingly more frequent and it was just a bad situation um rachel and tiffany had kind of pleaded with her like to please dump this guy like he's a real loser and you know they kept telling her that she could just do so much better for herself and um she just needed to ditch this guy and move on with her life and find something better yeah um honestly they sound like great friends to me i know (laughs) i mean they really do um one thing i did read was that as crappy as he was and stuff he would it was that abusive relationship where he would be terrible to her and then he'd he'd treat her so well and (sighs) she's got this whole life of people abandoning her so he's still staying with her even when her friends and her mom and dad are saying no 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 don't do this he still stays and i think there's something psychologically with that oh yeah for sure pieces of crap like this absolutely um so chris's family um said that christine was actually a very jealous person and that there was a time when they had gotten in an argument and she actually spent the night on the lawn yeah of Chris's family's house and um, as one does right and threatened to kill his family and um do you think it was like what is his name why can't I remember his name with the boombox over his head and she's just like saying oh my gosh it's an 80s movie why can't I remember I have a deer in the headlights look right now you guys I have no clue everyone scream at your phone right now because man he is not we're, we're idiots and we're not figuring this out John Cusack John Cusack in what movie I give up. Boombox over the head, playing it for a woman in rain. There's rain. There's so much rain. <laughs> what is happening? I can't remember. Oh and so anyway, that's what I picture her doing that outside of his window and just being like crazy and saying, I'm going to kill your family. Which, why did nobody go to the police over this? I'll never know. Well, actually, I guess um, both of their families said that their whole relationship was really dysfunctional and that this was kind of like a typical thing, like that they would just have these arguments Good and Lord. fights. and Yeah, right? It's like time to hang your hat and call it a day. Um, so evidently, Christine was eventually given the nickname of Psycho by uh, Chris's family, I guess. And of course, that's not a nickname that anyone would be proud to have. No, it's not one you want to share with. That's not like, hey, babe. Right. <laughs> hey, psycho. Um. I mean, I can see it being endearing in certain um, situations, yeah. but not this one. No, no, no. Not, not when you're an actual psycho. Right. Also, the movie's called Say Anything, and I had to Google it, and everybody, Mandy's so irritated with me about this, but I needed to get that out there. I needed to get it out there. Dying laughing over here. Okay. <laughs> So on the day of the murders, Christine and Chris went to Tiffany Rowell's house with the intention of robbing them for drugs and money. And they knew, of course, those two things would be there because they knew that Tiffany and Rachel were hanging around these two guys, Marcus and Adelbert, who were drug dealers. Right. And um, they also knew that, I guess, Tiffany and Rachel had both graduated high school at this point and were working. They graduated the year before. Right. And they were working, uh, both of them were working at a local strip club. So being that these two young ladies were working um, as waitresses at a bar, they, of course, had large cash tips on hand, and uh, Tiffany was dating Marcus, as I said, who was in the business of dealing cocaine and ecstasy, and that was just the plan. They were going to go take the money and the drugs. Uh, but before the robbery, Chris allegedly surprised, I'm air quoting here, um, air surprised Christine by handing her a gun. So, yeah, that's quite a surprise, I would say. It's like he went to Jared's. Here you go. (laughs) Will you commit this crime with me? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's the worst surprise ever. Yeah, really. I want a better one, please. Um, So the two went up to the front door and knocked. And being that Christine was a friend of the girls, they let the two of them in the house willingly and without a problem. Um, No hesitation there at all. And that's just part of the most sickening thing to yeah. me, I feel like, because honestly, if I'm going to be murdered, please don't let it be by my friends. <laughs> like, please let it be a stranger. I will make no promises. <laughs> Keep bringing me Diet Coke and we'll be good. <laughs> I will definitely do that <laughs> if that's all it takes. <laughs> but anyway, the surprise visit from a friend quickly spiraled into a horrifying murder scene. Um, Christine alleges that Chris fired the first shot at Marcus Priscilla, which was another surprise to her. She well, alleges, yeah, day. she alleges that she had no clue that they, his plan was to go in and shoot them. Although I think your first clue would have been when he handed you a gun. <laughs> yeah. um, that might have been. Wait, is this a ring or a gun? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so 
She says that after the first shot was fired by Chris, that something triggered inside of her and she just lost all control of herself and just started blindly shooting as well and just crying the whole time, shooting randomly and that, you know, this is definitely all Chris's fault though. Oh, I heard a better thing. She said that he actually handed her the gun put his hand over her hand like a oh, yeah. scene from the movie Ghost. <laughs> and then... And guided her way. Yeah, like, right. No, there's four people. It's a rampage. They're going in and, and shooting to kill. Nobody's giving you gun lessons on the way in the room. Right. And the female victims, um, by the way, were shot multiple times, more so than the males, yeah. which... Um, and they were also shot, like, in their groin, like, in their crotch area. And the um, detectives, of course, said that the only reason that that would be the case for this overkill, was what they, of course, call it in yeah. that world, um, would basically just be because the murder was driven by intense jealousy and hatred towards yeah. um, these individuals, which... Who were nothing but nice to right, her. Right, and it really makes no sense. Like, they literally took her under their wing and brought her up from, you know, this sad time that she was in and helped her, you know, get a little bit of popularity and kind of experience high school. A superlative. Right. And (laughs) they helped her get a superlative. Dang it. (laughs) um, But anyway, so I guess she didn't appreciate any of that. Um, That's tough. Yes. So after the killer couple left the scene, um, Christine stated that she needed to go back inside to make sure they were all dead, which is really weird for someone who claims that they had no clue this was even going to happen and didn't want any part in it. Yeah. Wait, let's make sure there's no witnesses left. So she actually goes back into the house after this whole thing goes down. This part's rough, guys. This part is really awful. Um, She discovered that Rachel, in fact, was not dead. And not only was she not dead, but she was crawling around on the floor with her cell phone in her hand, trying frantically and desperately to dial 911 for help. I have goosebumps even saying that because it's just awful. Um, And I guess she had thought she was just going to shoot her a few more times, but then realized that she was out of bullets in her gun. So um, the description that I had read, which was just very violent, was that she actually turned the gun around and grabbed the gun by the muzzle. So she, at this point, is like holding it kind of like a hammer. Mm -hmm. And then she's just beating um Rachel in the head with in the back of the head with it um, yeah. with the butt of the gun um until she died um yeah. literally as she's trying to call for help and you know is pleading with her like oh the last thing she said do you remember why are you doing this why to are you me? doing this to me right oh my goodness how do you live with yourself after that well she had a hard time actually yeah. <laughs> so, um, good <laughs> yes I know I hope she was very tortured um every single day and every single day from now on until forever um over this whole thing um so once the job was complete Christine asked Chris to drive her to work and what? less than an hour after she just murdered four people she clocked into her job at Walgreens and worked behind the makeup counter so again, why are why I don't understand people that steal money and I don't understand people that steal lives. lives. Yeah. <laughs> no, but really like that yeah. that's the whole thing like do something more, like make something of yourself. Not that working at Walgreens is a problem at all. She's in high school, but like okay, you don't have money to do stuff right now. Big freaking deal. Right. You know, Live with it. We live with it every day. Right? <laughs> I am older and I never have money. I and killed no one. <laughs> I have not killed anyone yet. I, know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we need to put yet at the end of that statement. Right. But no, really, that like that upsets me so much. So now she goes to Walgreens to work and make money, and she which is up. just so weird. I always, I think I get like skeeved out so much by like people who do commit murders and then literally. Go right back to Who their life. Who could hand you your change right after that? Like, what? Yeah. And so she just, what, went to work and she worked behind the makeup counter. And so she's just back there selling people blush and lipsticks yeah. and like, oh, by the way, that's a nice shade of red. It looks just like the blood yeah. I just, You know like, what that color you know? reminds me of? I mean, gosh, it's like so awful. I just can't Monster. even, I can't even imagine. And yeah. that's the creepy part. Like, you never know if when you go to the store, like if the cashier working yeah. just committed a terrible crime. Be careful when somebody hands you that blush. You know, you need to just look twice. <laughs> In 2004, Christine and Chris ended their tumultuous relationship after Chris was arrested and jailed in Kentucky for car theft. Well, isn't that just... He's an equal opportunity jerk. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So it was shortly after the breakup that Christine entered a rehab facility for her drug addiction, thanks to her bud, Chris. Um, And at this time, she turned 18. And when she turned 18, she actually was able to get into her trust fund from her father's death. And she had $300,000 
plus waiting for her, which is basically like as much money as you can think of at 18, right? I mean, that's- It's as much money as I, I can know. think of now. <laughs> okay, I'm we're trying. very poor and we love McDonald's. Is there anything else you guys want to know about us? <laughs> yeah, we should do a Q&A and it's just all of our- What's your favorite food? McDonald's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so while in treatment, she met another man, Justin Rott, who was a recovering heroin addict. And the big thing I know about AA, not having been in it, but the big thing I know is they say never fall in love- while in rehab, like you're supposed to. That's not what you're there for. Yeah, you're, that's not what you're there for. But I think it's even like a year they're not supposed to be in relationships afterwards. So you're well, you to have to work on yourself. yourself. Gosh, we are so Jinx. good tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but the two fell in love and they married in March 2005. Uh, four months later, near the second anniversary of the murders, Christine was watching the news and they were talking about the unsolved Clear Lake murders. Um, they had the composite sketches up and Christine actually became super upset, looked at Justin and said, do you think this looks like me? What? <laughs> I've never looked at So this at is somebody. like a half confession. Yeah. Like, like halfsies. <laughs> right. Like this is kind of her saying like, does it look like me? Because it is me. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Real quick question. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't really get that. So at this time she confesses to him and says that she committed these murders with her ex-boyfriend and they decided, you know what? Let's go into hiding. Let's, let's leave this town. Right. And, so they uh, just did. That's it. That's what they did. Yeah. So with <laughs> this money that she has, they live in a rundown motel room for eight months, binging on the necessities, heroin and junk food. And he actually said during what this a time, life. I know it's so sad. It's sad that they live that life. Oh, she's a monster for doing what she did, but and the whole thing makes me sad. Um, but he actually said that during the time they were in there, she never left the room. So we're talking months that she never went outside. At all. Who went and bought the heroin and junk food? Him, of course. Oh, okay. She, <laughs> our husbands won't give us food, but <laughs> a murderer's husband will go I out and get town. my husband to go get McDonald's, and this guy's out going getting drugs and I junk know. food every night. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the other thing I read, well, I don't know if you caught that, but you did say 70 vials of heroin was found in the room. You know. Just about 70. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. Um, but that's a lot of heroin. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> it seems like a lot. I don't know. I mean, one heroin, I think, is a lot of heroin. So <laughs> 70 seems excessive. So, yeah. Um, so on July 8th, 2006, the anonymous call to, tri- uh, to Crime Stoppers was made and police began their manhunt for Christine. Um, on July 19th, 2006, so this is just three years after the murders. One day after the three-year anniversary. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Um, Police tracked her down and arrested her in San Antonio. Justin Rott was also arrested as they found all this heroin in their motel room. And when the police arrested her, they said that that the room smelled like B.O., must and dried blood. Ew. Well, and I guess they had a dog in there. And what? so they also said that there was like dog feces smeared all over the place. And like, I guess they just told the housekeeping like not to ever come in, which never. I'm sorry, but if you're like the motel owner, I would be like, okay, no, like we have to come in and at least like check the room and make sure that you guys aren't de- like destroying the place, you yeah. know, because that's kind of like. But she's paying, you know, she's paying. I mean, for they're all paying, but yeah, but so what if someone pays for what eight months pay? and then they yeah. leave and the room is literally destroyed? Then you have 500 other rooms because you're a hotel <laughs> and you can work on that. And they have to expect this sort of thing. Yeah, I don't. No, they do. Yeah, <laughs> you have to. Yeah, According to, to the law of Melissa, you have to expect that people are shooting up heroin in, in your house. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, that, that's the whole thing is terrible. And we've said sad a million times, but it is sad. Like, it's sad for any human to live their life like this. She's a monster. She's a terrible person. All that thing. But I... But it's sad that any of this had to happen at all. Because, you well, know? I think I'm thinking other people that haven't committed murder have fallen into these sort of things. And right. it does make me sad. All addiction. It, it just makes me sad. So after their arrest, um, Justin told police that Christine had confessed to him about the murders and outlined in detail exactly what she had told him. And um, Christine initially denied her involvement in the murders when talking to police, but eventually she did ad- um, admit to participating in the killings. But she placed all of the blame, of course, on Chris Snyder. Right. So, um, yeah, she wasn't going to take the fall for this one, which she did was going to try not to. Did they even get money or drugs while they were in there? I don't know what they took or didn't take, although I did read something that said that um, the two boys, Marcus and Adelbert, had money still in their wallets. Right. So they what obviously the didn't take that money if they took any at all. I yeah. have no idea. 
Um, but yeah, if you're going to go, if that was your intention the whole time, oh like, yeah, I don't understand why you would leave a single dollar bill It feels like there's more. And then I remember even in the shootings, they said that they shot, she shot the girls in the crotch, which yeah. is a terrible way to right. be shot. Um, but just saying, I wonder how much of this was jealousy versus her friends moving on and they have this life now and they're you know, living it up. Everybody hates her boyfriend, so they're probably not wanting him around. Right. And versus money and stuff. I mean, maybe there's some of it, but I just don't believe that was the whole thing. Well, and then like we said, you know, the two girls, Rachel and Tiffany, had been, you know, telling Christine to ditch this guy. And yeah. then you also have this abuser on in her other ear yep. saying like, oh, baby, baby, like I'm all you need. And I'm like, sorry, you know. are you Justin Biebering right now? <laughs> Stop making jokes Stop. when I'm talking. <laughs> It's what I do, Mandy. I hate it's it. It's what I do. <laughs> Don't hate it. That's what I do. I know. Okay. Um, I just lost my train of thought, Melissa. Oh. Darn it. <laughs> Don't say baby, baby. That's what happens to you. But he's the abuser saying all these kind, these nice things to her and saying that these people are probably terrible for you, but I'm always here for you. I feel like that's where you're going. Right. It is. And then, of course, with a person who is, like, vulnerable, like yeah. Christine, um, I, I don't understand, but I can um, – logically see just based on what I know about abusive relationships that um you know she would listen to what he was saying yeah. over what her friends were saying and um you know he I'm sure could have said enough about her friends to actually turn her against them you yeah, know for sure. um that's just how abusive relationships work you never like to think that like that anyone would ever convince you you know to not like your family or friends or whatever but that's sadly exactly what and isolates them and right. all that stuff yeah. exactly super sad right um, so on July 21st, 2006, Christine and Chris were both charged with capital murder, although police had still not apprehended Chris yet. So they charged him with a crime, even though they had not even located him and didn't even know where right. he was. Um, and where he was, was actually in Greenville, South Carolina now. Um, and he was living with a woman that he had met online. A family member of his had actually given him a heads up that police had issued a warrant for his arrest and were looking for him and coming for him. And with this knowledge, he intentionally overdosed on prescription medication. So he took the real coward's way out and decided he just wasn't going to be around for police to arrest him and charge him with this murder. Um, But police did find his decomposing body in a heavily wooded area, which, of course, left Christine as the only one left to... Take the punishment for this crime. Yeah. So, sucks to be her, but... um, She was involved. She was... His hand on hers or not, which I cannot get over, will not get over. Like, that never happened. No, (laughs) that never happened. My goodness. So, on October 13th, 2008, Christine was convicted of four counts of capital murder. Her husband, Justin Rott, um, testified against her in depth, which... Good for him. I'm so glad. I didn't find anything about whether he got um, charged with anything because obviously he knew about this for quite some time and didn't go to the police. So I guess you're not on the hook for that. No, I don't think so. I think it's like more of a Good Samaritan sort of thing, which again, we don't know this for okay, sure. We need the guys from the Guilty Podcast yeah. to help us again. <laughs> Please help us. Every single episode. Yeah, we should be going to them first. <laughs> but uh-huh. no, I did hear that he he did have charges and so – that was like some – the defense kind of brought up, well, is he getting a deal out of this by testifying against her and bringing up all this garbage? But I also heard, as I said earlier to Mandy, that he was kind of known for hooking up with these women and using them for their money. So you wonder it, – it feels like another case of somebody in her life that's using her. Right. But still, guilty, guilty, guilty. Right. She did this terrible thing. Right, right, right. But as the mothers in us, I think, sometimes feel like when you hear the whole story, you kind of are like, oh, yeah. sorry, there's a little bit of sad there. But again, we think she's a terrible monster. Right. Um, but since she was a minor at the time of the murders, um, she was spared the death penalty. But oh, wow. she was sentenced to life in prison. And um, she has actually since filed multiple appeals, which have all been denied. And uh, she's incarcerated at the Mountain View unit in Gatesville, Texas, and will be eligible for parole in 2046, at which time she will be 60 years old. The prime of your life. Right. Yeah. But that's... Actually, 60, you still... I mean... Listen, I hope to be dead by like... (laughs) 60. (laughs) 70 latest. The second you have to go to a doctor's appointment every day, I'm out. Just... (laughs) That just seems miserable to me. I'm already aching, and I can't do this for many more years. Oh, my gosh. 
So that is the story of the Clear Lake murders and Christine Paolilla. If you guys were interested in this case or just want to know a lot more details, there is actually a book um, that a true crime writer has written called um, Never See Them Again, and it is by M. William Phelps. So look that up if you are interested in hearing more details of this case um, or, you know, just are bored and want to <laughs> look it up. I don't know. Just do what you want. If you're a nerd and you like to read, why not yeah. go find this? Just kidding. Or you can do Audible. That's always a good one. Um, so now we have a couple I'm Invincible wins. And I think these all came from our Facebook group this week. The first one is from Karen. She's part of the Kelly sisters. And I will not pronounce her last name because I will not be able to do it. Oh, you know I'm not no. going to try. <laughs> I know. Okay. She said, okay, I thought of an I'm Invincible win this morning. I'm Invincible when... When it's 7 a.m. and I'm in my barn, which Mandy's terribly jealous of, which is near the road and said road is under construction, alone feeding my chickens and into the barn walks a random city worker, construction dude, or neighbor and scares the crap out of me. I'm in my pajamas still, people. Don't come in. But I feel invincible knowing that I'm always within arm's reach of either an axe or a pitchfork <laughs> when this happened. Hashtag do not mess with the chicken lady. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hashtag chicken ladies unite. <laughs> you nerds need your own. It's not nerdy thing. to love animals, Melissa. <laughs> I love animals. I just don't like them that much. I'm editing this out. People will hate me for this. No, we're keeping it in. <laughs> Mandy loves animals enough for everyone. So I just, yeah, no. I don't like people either. So I really am an equal Listen, it's not for everyone. I get it. The, <laughs> the farm life is not for everyone. But yes, I do agree that having farm tools around all the time is Genius. great. Yes. Yeah. There's always a weapon somewhere. Yeah. All of those are very violent ways to die, too. So. Right. Well, hey, don't sneak up on me in my barn. Don't mess up with the chicken lady. That's what I say. Um, the next one is from Lisa, and she said, I am invincible when I think someone's going to try to murder me, so I pretend we went to high school together. <laughs> surely, surely they won't murder me if we were in school together. Um, yeah, no. I, hey, I, we know each other, right? <laughs> hey, you're 20 years older than me, but we went to school together, right? No, I, I, I love that one. Well, the, just the familiarity. So if you look at somebody like, oh, we know each other. Like, right. I see your face. You see mine. You can't kill me. That's right. where that's. No, I love it. I think it's perfect. I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next one's one of my favorites. Um, this is from Brittany. And she says, I'm invincible. I'm invincible when we could not have made a more difficult hashtag to write out, spell, anything. and say. It I drives know, nothing. me <laughs> so crazy every time I write it out. Um, I, take my, I take public transportation almost every day. So my I'm invincible when is I'm invincible when I start talking to myself about random criminals on the train so others think I'm crazy and leave me alone. No one's going to approach someone who's talking to themselves about Ted Bundy, right? (laughs) I know I wouldn't. (laughs) I might actually approach you and be like, hey, what's going on? Ted Bundy, tell me more about the true crime you You would not. You would not. No. (laughs) Never, ever, ever. I would... I'd be so scared. Although, I mean, yeah, you need to use a few of our I'm Invincible wins on public transit because... I, I'm, I've had to do public transit a lot. Really, we don't have too much in Orlando. Um, we have the Sun Rail, which I've nicknamed the Stank Rail because right, exactly. See, see, see. So yes, keep your wits about you out there. Yeah, there <laughs> when you you're on public transportation. And the last one has a picture, and so I love it. Um, so I'm invincible when I'm driving through Huntsville, Alabama, I assume. Um, and notice the do not pick up hitchhiker sign and think to myself, well, duh, thank you for the sign, but I'm well aware that hitchhikers will more than likely murder me. But thank you, Texas, for the uh, friendly state advice. But the picture that she posted is, says prison area, do not pitch up, pick up hitchhikers. That is what? terrifying. <laughs> no, ma'am. That is I so scary. I wouldn't even want to drive through the area. Right? Jeez, like get me out of there right away. I lock my door just randomly. I can see a hitchhiker like from 10 miles away. I'm going 70 miles an hour and I'm still going to lock my door. Yeah. What is that going to do? <laughs> I'm the worst at that. So anyway, so those are our I'm Invincible wins. That's our story for the week. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We will definitely do something lighter because this has depressed the crap out of me. (laughs) (laughs) This is a hard one to research. Mandy did a lot of the research, which I'm very thankful for. Um, Yeah, yeah. So yeah, (laughs) more or less. Um, And so uh, remember our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook group, Mums the Mom's the word. I'll remember mm-hmm. it one day. <laughs> uh, Patreon, all that fun stuff. And check out the hashtag two pods a day. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Sounds great. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Bye. Hi, this is Steven, the host of Trace Evidence, 
a true crime podcast focused on missing persons and unsolved murders. If you're a true crime fan like I am, then you're haunted by the questions for which there are no answers and the names of the victims who so rightfully deserve them. Kurt Sova, Tara Calico, Lauren Spear, Rico Harris, Suzanne Joven, Dorothy Scott, Jesse Ross, Sky Metawala, Patricia Docker, Rachel Trelisa. You may know their names, but do you know their stories? Trace Evidence is available on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, and more. Visit trace-evidence.com for more information. Hey, Katie. Hey. Hey, Cassie. Do you want to tell people about our podcast? Oh my gosh, I've been waiting all day to tell people about our podcast. What's it called? It's called Married to Murder. What's it about? It's couples who murder each other or murder together. Oh my God, that sounds so awesome. Where can you listen to it? iTunes or anywhere podcasts are available. Anywhere a podcast is available? Anywhere. Get out. I can't wait to go listen myself. Well, hurry up. I'll time you. Okay. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.